Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of Moscow Mules and Knopslides. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. I'm your other host, David, and it sounds like our podcast is old enough to vote. It is. It's finally old enough to vote, buy cigarettes, and the occasional, you know, adult magazine. <laughs> I would like to think our podcast had good taste in uh, adult literature, but, you know. Yeah, you don't, you know, you never know. We're starting but, out hot. <laughs> Our special guest of the week is Katie. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Katie. Katie or uh, Katie Trimble Noble? That's me, Katie Trimble Noble. It's complicated. There's a lot of hyphenation. KTN. Nah, it doesn't flow as well, but no. Yeah. yeah. See, I can't. I can't give you the whole name because then you would figure out who my alter identity is, sure. and so then you would know all my secrets. Yeah, can't have all the secrets. Can't have all the secrets. You look so confused. I am very confused. What's, who, me? I'm, I'm usually confused. I'm just wondering uh, how many drinks for the secrets. Where we, we look at. Ooh, ooh, drink, see, see the government trusts me. You should too. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they, trust, they trust David and I too. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> they, they still trust us, Katie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, on the other hand, got kicked out of the club. Uh, my video is... Or did you? Blurry. Oh! I don't, it won't want to refocus. But anyways, those that are listening for the first time, uh, epi- you know, 18 episodes in, but what Moscow Mules and Upside is, is you know, we just have a drink with you know, cybersecurity and technical professionals, and you know, some of them are from our own network, some of them not, that we expand upon, and we just hang out for about an hour, and then... Uh, and we go our separate ways till one day we get to meet again in person. That's one what I'm looking day. forward to. Oh, I know you're counting down today. You said you have a countdown calendar. <laughs> you rip off every day. Every day. And then you know what? It's kind of like Groundhog Day where it just turns into like the same day over and over again. And you're like, oh, one of these days it's going to be actually the next day. Instead of like those like how many days since the last accident that counts down. Like yours is like days till I get to see people again in person. Yours one. counts up. It always says one though, and then like you tear it off, and the next day it's like one. Like, oh yeah, maybe tomorrow's the day, right? <laughs> it's like that sign you see at like people's houses, like free beer tomorrow. That's right. You're not. You're never getting free beer. And guess what? <laughs> as you can tell, we ramble a little bit. But as the special guest of the week, Katie, we usually kick it over to you first. What are you wetting your whistle with? Oh, so this was a this was a bit of a challenge. I uh, I thought. Well, should I go with coffee? Should I go with like iced coffee? Because I've been on the iced coffee kick lately. Okay. And then I thought, nope, 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 no. Nope. We're going to go classic. Uh, so I've gone to my yield standby, which is a gin and tonic. But it's aviation gin, which is better than all the other gin. Let me uh, just say, it does not taste gin. like pie needles, <laughs> which I appreciate. And uh, I, uh, I, I, during the COVID world, I... Um, I get these uh, these produce boxes in the mail because I don't want to go to the grocery store. And in my produce box, I keep getting lemons. And I don't know what to do with lemons. Like when you get like a bag of lemons, what are you supposed to do with that? So I make eventually- Make lemonade. Make lemonade, yes. You can only do so much. So I eventually learned by, of course, I Googled it. Uh, I can zest the lemons, freeze the zest, and then I can like put it into stuff as I need it. But uh... I can also freeze the lemon juice. So I took like, I juiced all these lemons and I, uh, I, I made lemon ice cubes with the lemon juice. Oh. So now I pop one of my little COVID lemon ice cubes into my gin and tonics for a nice little kind of lemony twist. It's delightful. 
that's i'm mind blown right now i don't know why that do, you, actually... do you have to put like the zest in anything or can you just like freeze it in a like a ziploc baggie uh so like i like to take like a like um parchment paper and like zest it like kind of like a layer of zest and then i uh then i i put that parchment paper on like a plate or like a pan or something put it in the freezer and let it freeze all spread out and then once it's frozen like spread out then i just take it and pull it back out and put it in a ziploc bag and store oh, okay. it in like a Ziploc baggie or a little Tupperware container. And then you can take it out and like, say you're cooking like whatever, whatever, like green beans or something on the grill or on the, the, the stovetop. You just take a spoonful of your lemon zest, pop it in there, done. Don't need to have lemons on hand because I've got frozen that's, lemon zest. That's great. I've never, I never knew you could do that. Yep. It, it's, I never even thought about doing the ice cubes. And then it just occurred to me that Dina put pesto in ice cubes i had sure, like those like the i had the uh you know for the, your bourbons big uh, you know cubes mm -hmm. and she's like i'm like what are you doing she's like you'll thank me later and i did because we like, like <laughs> two weeks later she made pasta and fresh pesto like bam right, so. take yep. that bam. so these I, are things I, we learn in the covid world what know, to do right? with all this parsley that keeps coming in my my produce box i don't what am i supposed to do with a giant thing of parsley i have no idea parsley what do you do with parsley i have no you idea. Got a food processor and you freeze it <laughs> and, <laughs> and now i make chimichurri sauce that was gonna say chimichurri which goes on beef <laughs> I guess I don't know what you eat chimichurri with. I'm trying to think of what like you, you know uh, Brazilian Brazilian um, steakhouse. You can just beef. Put it on some toast. Put it on eggs toast? in the morning. Ah, oh, eggs. Goes on everything. Yeah. Toast. On everything. Yeah. So so going back to your drink though, I noticed you have like a, a, a almost comically large to me either straw or stir. <laughs> what what's going yeah. on there? <laughs> so. Um, being from Seattle, I have a little bit of, you know, environmentally friendly in me here. Um, and so I have these, like all these metal straws, like, I, I don't know how I've collected them. I think people have given them to me and I just have them, but yeah, you're, you're right. Because my glass is like a regular, like small, like cocktail glass, but I don't have a straw. And so I just use these metal straws and like, <laughs> no one cares. It's just me in my apartment. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's cool. Just, which is like the job done. It's like three times the size of the glass. Oh yeah, it looks yeah, like it's yeah, three yeah. feet long. It's really entertaining to me because uh, I'll I'll do um, I'll do different like interviews or, or different uh, events on Zoom, and uh, I'll people I'll sit here and drink on my straw, and all you see on the camera is this straw I'll just come out of nowhere, and then <laughs> I take a sip, and the straw goes away. <laughs> Start to pull the glass up, and like it, it just never comes up, and it's just, exactly. just it's just straw. Just a straw. Fine. It's a metal straw, straw, like a. I, I liken it to like a submarine. It's like the um, what is that called? Periscope. Ah, it just yes. comes up. <laughs> the old periscope. So aviation gin. Yeah. So you don't like any other gins, or are you just a big fan uh, of Ryan Reynolds? Shout out to Ryan Reynolds. Well, I Shout mean, loved, loved loved Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? Uh, no, I uh, I I used to not like gin at all. Like not at all. I thought it tasted like you were just chewing an air freshener, like so bad. I hate it. And the smell of like juniper berries and pine trees, it, it tastes, it smelled and tastes like, like a, a pine tree. And I was just not interested in that at all. And then uh, my husband and I went to, um, went to the UK and we did this big tour of the UK at one point. One of our friends is, uh, is British and he's delightful in all the ways that Dane can be delightful. 
And so he insisted that we go to Oxford and we went to Oxford and there was this like little gin bar that's called the Sardine. And it's like the smallest gin bar in the world. That's what it says. It doesn't even have a bar. It just has like the bartender who stands against one wall and makes you drinks and then turns around and gives you the drink as you're standing like maybe a foot from him. <laughs> so uh, we went in there because, you know, it's a novelty thing. And I'm like, oh, I don't much care for gin. And they're like, you just give it a go, Katie. Get over oh. yourself. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. For the fun of it here, I'll get over it. I'm trying to impress this guy, all right? Um, look how flexible and wonderful I can be. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Adaptive. Adaptive. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So I, uh, we, we went to, we did that. And the bartender was like, well, what do you want? I'm like, I genuinely have no idea. Like, I got no idea. And this guy was such a fast talker. He's like, He's like, well, what do you like? What do you not like? You want something fruity? You want something spicy? You want something like a little kick? You want, something hot? you want something cold? You want like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, what's your favorite color? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, purple. Know. <laughs> <laughs> and purple. he's like, I got the thing for you. And I'm like, from a color? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Okay. And he created this like strawberry pepper cocktail. And it was, gin was huh. the base. And uh, like turned around and gave it to me and it was his best thing. He gave it to me in like a fishbowl sized glass too. It was massive. Uh, and you know, straw hanging out of it. And I'm like, all right, well, this is going to be a good day. And uh, after that, I realized that only crappy gin tastes like pine needles. Oh. Uh, good gin does not. I it tastes delicious. That. I mean, um, I, th I think you're like the probably the fifth person we had on it's like uh, gin's like my go-to or I just had this drink tonight, but gin's usually my go. I might have to pick up some gin. You awesome. gotta get the good gin, right? And so then I've got the I've got the connection to the aviation, right? Because I was in the Air Force and also the Aviation Village, and also I love aviation. So I just happen to like the brand as well. It's got a cool bottle, and one but more, it also one, tastes good. Yeah, one more time, shout out to Ryan Reynolds for making <laughs> awesome gin. That's right, really good gin. <laughs> really, good I don't gin. know if you've heard yet, but it's really good gin. Maybe we'll get him on the podcast. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, see if he's available. Yeah. Yeah, you, never you never know. Yeah. So that's cool. So I think gin for me also, I, I may not have disclosed this before, but that was like my first hard liquor foray. And I think it was mostly because my dad was so into gin. He was just like, oh, yeah, gin's the best. I love gin and tonics. I was like, I'm not old enough to make my own decisions. That sounds like a great idea for me to start drinking. And I remember the first day, so like, holy crap, that tastes like Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, you're going to clean like a motor and like eat some pine needles. And oh, yeah. <laughs> In the same, it like, wasn't terrible. Like if you if you sweeten it up a little bit, or if you like really mask bad gym with lime, it it you know you can manage through it. It cuts it. Yeah, it, it does cut it. Your your quality of tonic does matter as well. I found that when I was in the UK, I really like uh, they've got this like lemon tonic. It's like a lemon lemonade tonic, and that is really really good. Or the other thing you can do is just because you can't really find the the lemon tonic easily in the states, um, just a splash of lemonade. Gets you that sweetness, and the the lemon acid cuts the cuts the taste of motor cleaner. Yeah, it's a nice powder cleaner. <laughs> motor cleaner. <laughs> it's just gonna burn know. all the grease away. I mean, I haven't had gin in a while, but yeah, I remember I went through a gin phase where I just drank Bombay Sapphire for a while, but that was that's, well, twelve that's, years. Oh, ago. That's my jam. Oh, I but I haven't had any in a long. I haven't really had hard liquor in a bit. Yeah. So, I'm not a big drinker. So like for me, that's it. Like I have, uh, my husband's got the scotch cabinet back there. I get him a scotch advent calendar every year, but like, I'm not a big drinker. I'll, I can't fin finish a bottle of wine. It's just not my thing. Like I'll get a bad headache, which is weird. Cause I'm 
like I'm Irish and my family's like all about like, yeah, we can handle our alcohol, rawr. And like, I just don't, not, I'm, I'm a sensitive, delicate little flower. Just, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So David, what are you sipping on this fine, fine evening? Well, you know, always natter days, but uh, when I'm not drinking natter days. I had my first natter day a week ago, by the way. How was it? Were you disappointed? Yes. No, you weren't. You can't. One of these days, I'm just going to drink three natter days for the podcast, probably. They're only like 4%. Just, I mean, you know. I mean, I was, I was disappointed in the sense it was like real sweet, and I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah. wasn't really expecting the sweetness, I guess. Oh, I knew it was going to, like, I knew yeah. it was flavored, so I had, I had something, but I was like, eh. I wouldn't really choose. I would probably drink like a White Claw over that if I had to choose. Yeah. Well, they also do like the Natty Seltzers nowadays, but you know, yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't get into that. Anyway. It's like you're about uh, to shotgun a beer. <laughs> oh, oh, these that. days we'll do that too. First podcast in person. Uh, this is called Secret Machine and it is from Dewey Beer Company. Uh, Delaware. Yeah. Brewed in Delaware. 6.3%. This is, I am a fan of Delaware. Uh, yeah, I figured, I figured, you know, I, I kind of know a little bit back here about your background. I figured you at least recognize Delaware or at least Dewey without saying Delaware. So, uh, this one, this was flavored raspberry and passion fruit. So we're going to dump that into a delightful little, uh, group. Oh, it's actually called GR star star T from the website that they sold this on. Speaking of Ryan okay. Reynolds, uh, because I can't say group on the website. <laughs> GR star star T. Poravita.square.site, I think. Poravita beer glasses. It's a nice little cute guy. Poravita beer glasses. Yeah. Interesting. I think, I think it's my first and only purchase for them, but it's, it's you know, my kids are kind of into like the cute Disney style cartoony Avenger X-Men stuff. So this, this hit, uh, it's a home run for them. So. We'll see what's going on here. This I, I got this beer in a trade. Uh, I traded money for cans of beer shipped from Maryland. So is that really a trade, or did you just pay for? Well, uh, we'll talk beer? about violating highway commerce laws some other day, uh, and I'm just gonna <laughs> sip on this. So violating. Enjoy, what Kyle. What What do you got? Uh, so I went to the same place I always go to because it's like I'm, I have some good barrel aged stuff in the fridge. I'm waiting until it gets a little cooler waiting. out. We haven't done like 90 days here the last two days. And like, I was mowing the lawn today and it sucked. And I was like, I can't drink a stout yet. I'm just not ready. Can't Sitting on them to too, it. man. I had that same thought coming back from hockey today. I was like, man, I really just want to slam some barely like some, you know, 25 ounce, whatever it is. Yeah. Two and two so like I sat in front of the, you know, the, the microbrew thing and looked up on, on uh, untapped as I always do for like the good ones. And this one's again from my bad. This, this is probably like the I don't know, eighth beer I've had from them, from their new trail brewing company in Williamsport PA. This one's called shades. Nice hazy double IPA, but more importantly, oh, it was gross. the glass. <laughs> gross. Gross. Jesus. I did. I tried to convert like three people. Like I went, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the other day to drink some IPAs and they were like, this is disgusting. I was yeah, like, all IPAs taste the same. Bad. Oh, now here we go. The gin I said drinker. the same. Wait a minute. Yeah, the gin drinker telling us they all taste the same. That's I'm so. I, about I used to, beer, okay. I used I to say the same thing, and and I was like, now I I know there's a, a big difference. But I was like staring in front of the our our cabinet of all the glasses that I've been collecting, and I'm like, man, which one do I choose tonight? There are so many things. Do I try to get like a themed? 
of you know the night or do I whatever I'm doing because I've got I'm also getting a bunch that I pre-ordered that I didn't even know were coming until they just show up but long story short no since it's the first night of football I have the super techno bowl glass right uh, I think this is glass to mouth made this one but I got this in like a, a like second hand but nice old super techno bowl I love that glass. one I, I got that one that's a that's a nice little like 14 ounce glass Great. Yeah. Nice little graphics on it, like, you know, the 8-bit. Takes it back. That was one of the probably, like, I, as a kid that didn't have very many, many video game systems until, like, the PS PlayStation. I had a Game Boy, but that didn't count. So I'd play Super Techno Bowl at other people's houses. So quality. You a Bo Jackson? Of course. Yeah. I bought a pair of his shoes recently. I didn't even know they made them. They're, like, from 2014, but I got them. Is he the greatest cyber athlete of all time, or was it Mike Vick from that uh, that one Madden game where he was just insane? Oh, yeah, he was insane in that game. I would say it has to be Bo Jackson. You couldn't tackle Bo Jackson. You had it off. Even if the player picked the same defensive play that you had, there's a good chance you could break the first tackle and score a touchdown. He was so good. He was so good. His 30 for 30 was like – Good yet depressing. Like, I just didn't remember it much as a kid because he just disappeared after, like, 92. Yeah, because he, he just really messed – what, his hip up? He, he tra- like, trashed yeah. his hip, like uh, – yeah. He dislocated his hip, and he was so muscular, strong in his lower body that when he stood back up, his hip went back in place, and he pinched a blood vessel, which then killed the head of his femur. So he had to get a hip replacement at, like, 23 years old. Something crazy like that. That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. That's that's just the sport, you know. <laughs> that's just well said, Katie. Well said. I don't know. It's true. It is. How was that? How's yours? Oh man, it's really good. This is uh, nice, sweet, tart, little Jimmy Jam. It's it's really good. It's it's one of the nicer um, non-local sour style beers I've had, for sure. I picked up another These one. IPAs and sours, man. Ugh. So yeah, the, we'll the com- thing we'll about convert you. We'll convert the, you. The thing about time. sours nowadays is that they're not really sour. They're just kind of like it's just the wheat. style that they fall into. They're, yeah, they're like wheat beers with their you know, Berliner Weiss styles, and they're just fruited up, and they're just these sometimes really nice just fruity beverages but they're under the beer category so you can get away with it for i i have one that i guarantee that you'll love like a sour the 1844 mm-hmm. i think that converts that converts anybody it, it tastes shouldn't. like it tastes like a like a drink you would get at a beach but it's a beer and it's like seven percent but it doesn't taste like All a beer right. it's it's weird well, i've converted a few people I'll, I'll go and i'll go and i'll go and try it i uh, i'm sure you won't be able to find it i'll say i'll save you again all right, all right. It's, lo- it's local, and I don't even know. Can you even get Hitchhiker? It gets you I may beer. know someone that can ship you a can. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We got the internet. <laughs> yeah. I'll sh- but we're actually, we're getting <laughs> glasses made. So when, when we get glasses made, maybe a can will appear in the box, too, uh, with it as well. But we're getting glasses made of the, the podcast logo, and we're going to send them to everybody for thank you for being on the podcast. So. That will be coming hopefully uh, next month or two. You'll get yours. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Sounds good. I'm waiting. I'll wait with bated breath and hope you, that my w- my apartment building actually delivers it. That's true. That would suck if they didn't. 
Yeah. Are you having some delivery issues beyond like the, the uh, awful USPS service lately? Oh, so, so much. I, uh, I don't even want to say because I don't want to give these people positive press, <laughs> but uh, there's a third party mail handling service. And this makes lots of sense if you like live in a neighborhood where your packages go missing, right? And you want to like send your mail to someone else and then they'll hold it for you and then deliver it to you on your schedule in your home. But I live in a apartment building in DC and uh, I pay a lot of money to have a person who, you know, answers the door. <laughs> like there's a, there's a front desk here and I would like them to have my take my mail. And uh, they've been offloading the mail onto this third party service. And it means that it adds like, if you have Amazon Prime or anything, like you don't get your mail until this third party service delivers it to you. So it can be like several days. And sometimes things just go missing as well. And it's like so frustrating. And I just like rage regularly. I'm like, I've, I like rage against it. And I'm like, maybe I should start a homeowners association. And then I mm-hmm. like, no, I have a real job. I don't have time yeah, you don't want to get involved with that. Right, Every yeah. person that's a homeowner is like on the board in my neighborhood, in our neighborhood is like, just so bitter all the time. I see them on the street. Like I wave to them and then they just have the worst day of their life. Angry, angry. They're just angry. They're going to deal with the Karens of the world. I just, then I ask myself, That's, am I being Karen? Is it me? Am I, is it me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If I get if, like, you know, you live in an area that you're supposed to get your prime shipment. I know this is, sounds really awful, but you expect it. Like that's what you expect. It's what you pay for. Yeah. Sucks. Well, hopefully they I mean, I just they arrive. like to get my packages. Not yeah. like, I just like to get them. <laughs> right. Eh. Not just, just, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't care if they you know show up three days late. I just want it. I just want <laughs> right, <it>. exactly. <laughs> Back in the old days when you had to wait two weeks for a package, oh, crazy days. Oof. Can't do that anymore. Nope. So tell us about the uh, the transition to the new job over the last. How long have you been at your new job now? Mm, nine months. Has it been that long? It has. I know. It's it's crazy. I guess you left uh, similarly right before Dina left, I guess, when she took her new job. Okay. All right. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I feel like we all left at the same time and I kind of giggled a little about it. Um, But yeah, yeah, yeah. Peace out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's just, it just kind of made me giggle a little, but a bunch of people decided to move all at the same time. And I was like, oh, it's the P-Cert shuffle. The P-Cert shuffle. That's actually where were you before you moved to where you are now? How about that? Ah, yes, yes. Uh, my alter identity. Uh, so I, I take this. This is my my moment to introduce myself and explain Absolutely. all of these fun things. Yeah, cool. please do. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I am a very interesting character. At least I think so. Um, I am not from this world. I know I'm not like an alien or anything. I'm just not from the IT world. I'm not from the tech world. Uh, I'm actually from the like psychology and religion world, believe it or not. Um, so I, uh, I turned 18 and joined the military as one does, you know, it's fine. Uh And I spent 12 years in the air force, uh, doing air forcey things for various government agencies. And, uh, I, uh, I got into Homeland Security because I got tired of being in Afghanistan. So I was in Afghanistan for years and years, four years actually, uh, as a civilian, which makes me the crazy one here because I volunteered to go back. Yeah, yeah, I only deployed one time with the military. Uh, the other, uh, the other times were me. It was yeah, like, oh, this cool. seems like a great job. Let's just I'll keep just, going back. Yeah, I like it there. Sure, totally fine. Well, I did. I, mean, I, I did. I did, I did enjoy my time like deployed, but yeah, that's it. well, that's yeah. for a different day. 
You finished so, all your story. So yeah, yeah. So I, uh, my, my background is in human behavior analysis and uh, doing that kind of work. So I was an analyst for the Air Force, and then I was an analyst for civilian agencies um, in Afghanistan doing uh, kind of human behavior and understanding industri um, industrial control systems, goodness, and, and understanding like explosive devices. So I worked for an agency that, uh, yeah, it was called JIDO, the Joint IED Defeat Organization, which sounds like an NGO. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's not an NGO, uh, but their whole, <laughs> their whole purpose is they, uh, they work to try to, or they did, uh, work to try to break the cycle of violence, basically. So understanding um, how explosive devices are manufactured, the people that go into it, and what the critical nodes and the critical like, pieces are of that. And then if you can disrupt any of that, you don't have to cause any kind of violence. You don't have to be part of the violence cycle. You can just, you know, intercept the transports of fertilizer. Ta-da! Uh -huh. um, and that stops people from being, you know, rocketed. Amazing. So I did that for years and years. And then I decided that I was tired of living in Afghanistan and uh, maybe I should not. So I came to DC and I worked for the Department of Homeland Security where I was the section chief for vulnerability management and coordination. So I, uh, I ran several of the big programs that people are familiar with, which is like the uh, MITRE CVE program. I was on the, I actually still am on the board of directors for the MITRE CVE program. So I was what's called the government sponsor for the CV program. Also the NIST NVD program. So that's your CVSS scoring. I was, I was the government sponsor for that and program manager. And then uh, the Carnegie Mellon CERT CC program. That's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I worked, I worked with the Carnegie Mellon SCI guys on the vulnerability portfolios, um, which I think Carnegie Mellon and the CERT CC program basically established coordinated vulnerability disclosure. Before that, there was no, there was no, no coordination centers. CERT CC is the first CC. That's right. First one. So, first. and then the, that's right. The ICS CERT portfolio is the fourth portfolio that I worked on. So, um, did that for many, many years, loved every second of it. Uh, and then I got married. <laughs> <laughs> and, Boy, that was a wall I didn't expect. Wait, wait, hard, uh, soft pause and, then, and rewind, and we'll pick up right at we got married, you got married, we got married, you got married. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, how did you go from doing what you were doing in you know Air Force and in civilian agencies to vulnerability stuff? Like, talk about. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, That's first of all, I didn't fun, even know right? you spent years in. Maybe I did know you spent years. in Afghanistan. Like, yeah. most people don't say they spend years in places that. But anyways, so how did you do that? Like, how'd that transition happen? So it sounds very like disparate, right? It sounds like a complete 180 change. It's not. Um, so basically as a, so I'm what you would consider a career classic intelligence analyst. Uh, I was brought in to the, I, you know, joined the military when I was young and um, graduated college and was like, well, I should get a job. And then like, didn't. So I was like, well, I guess I'll join the military. That seems like a good idea. Let's do that. That sounds great. Um, and they're like, guess what? You scored, you scored real good. So you're going to be an Intel analyst. Guess and I was what? like, oh, okay. I don't really want to be an Intel analyst. That's like a really long training program. It's like a year long tech school. Like, oh, that doesn't sound good to me. I'd rather be a finance person. Eight week tech school. Sounds nice. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're going to be an Intel person. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll be an Intel person. So I went through all the training, did all that. I was active duty for four years. And then I was a reservist for eight years in the Air Force Reserve. So the reserves is like a full-time job, only not because you only get paid part-time and uh, you have to have a real job the rest of the time if you want to like, you know, pay your rent. So yeah, I know, right? It's fun. Um, so I was an Air Force reservist from Dover, Delaware. 
Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Shout out yeah. to Delaware. See, I knew Shout what's out up. Shout to Delaware. I love Delaware. <laughs> I chose Delaware, man. Like I chose it. I had a choice of bases, and I came from Seattle, from McCord Air Force Base to Dover, Delaware. So interesting. Choice. Something to be said about Dover. Yeah. Whoa. So. Wait a minute. Why? Seattle but, sounds. But West why? Coast sound, yeah. Why you go West Coast, East Coast? West Coast sounds great. We're all trying uh, to go the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, imagine I work for this agency as my like full-time job that's in DC, right? But on the weekends, like one weekend a month, I have to go back to Seattle, right? right? That's expensive because the Air Force doesn't cover it. And so you're flying back to Seattle once a month to be an Air Force reservist and put on the uniform and do do the reserve thing. And then you fly back to DC. And so after a while, I did that for about three years. And after a while, I was like, I'm tired. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I lived in DC for my full-time, you know, nine to five job. And then I would have to go back to Seattle. So uh, I'm from Seattle. And so when I left active duty, um, I said, well, I'm going to go home. And I went home to Seattle and got in, 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 signed up there in my reserve unit, my local reserve unit at McCord Air Force Base. I loved it. But... The, tri- the the commute is killer, man. So yeah. I can imagine. So, so how did I end up in the tech world from that world, right? So I did classic human behavior around uh, around intelligence analysis stuff um, for the Air Force. So for airplanes to help airplanes fly missions to where they're going, right? That was my classic Air Force job. And then in my day job, I did this Jido thing with explosive devices, um, helping figure out how to how to stop the just help stop the cycle of violence is really what we go with. But uh, after after a certain point, like uh, when you look at intelligence analysis, it's all the same process, right? So how I approach everything is exactly the same. Even still to this day, how I approach things is the same. It's still a very analytical, very logical process. So nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is the topic set, right? So I could put any topic set in. And the process would still be the same, right? Topic sets are interchangeable. So one day, if you want me to study and learn about insurgent networks in Afghanistan, I can do that. Uh, if you want me to under- learn about undersea cables <laughs> for the Department of Homeland Security, well, that was my next job. I did that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I can yeah. do that too. Fiber optic transmission systems, terrestrial and undersea fiber optics. Yep. So that was my, when I left Jido and I left uh, the explosives world, I went over to, uh, the, like I said, the Department of Homeland Security where uh, I worked on communications resiliency. So helping the US government figure out how to secure its communications grid. And so uh, it's a multi, like multi-agency effort. The FBI is involved, Naval Intelligence, the FCC, um, Department of Homeland Security, state and locals, everybody's involved in it. Like how do we secure our communications grid, right? Because most communications happens in the civilian world, right? So if the police are using cell phones right that's a government sort of job but it goes over a public like it network right so you how do you secure those things right so that was that was my job at the department i brought brought together all these disparate groups and uh, my job was to try to get them to all talk to each other and share information and work collaboratively with each other which is where the psychology background comes in (laughs) (laughs) right so i did that for a couple of years two two or three years for the department and uh, the department of homeland security kind of reorganized and when they reorganized, my boss got promoted, like, out of the organization, kind of, into another organization. And I, uh, I was like, well, this communications resiliency thing is, seems to be going pretty well. It's a well-oiled machine. I don't really need to be in here anymore. I'm bored. And so they said, my boss said, hey, uh, there's this other thing in the INCIC, the uh, National 
Cybersecurity Communications Integration Center, otherwise known as US CERT. That's cool. uh, <laughs> yeah, so there's this other thing over there. It's called vulnerability management. And uh, there's all these portfolios and like, they're all disparate. Like they're all in different places. They're all being managed by different people. They're all kind of in weird places and uh, they want to put them all together, but they need somebody who has National Security Council experience and who has worked with the National Security Council. And so I was nominated for the job. Nice. Yeah. And so I, I guess, came over I guess, and took over that job. I guess it really, yeah, when you put it like that in the like process, it's not that different when you think about it analytically, I guess. Yeah. When you were talking about it first, I was like, wait a minute, how did you get yeah. into what you did, right? How does it go mm. from one to the other? But that's how, that's how it happens. When you think about it, the process is the same. It's really just the topic that changes. Did you, did you so, find any like difficulty like moving to vulnerability management as far as like that topic goes? Like, like um, did, did some of it ma- like not make sense to you at all? Most I mean, of it didn't make yeah, sense. CVSS yeah. scoring didn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> does it still make sense? I feel like it does. No, and I, I cringe want, every time because I'm like, I'm partly responsible for that. Oh no, it's <laughs> yeah. not your fault. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, so yeah, it was a it was a little bit of a learning curve. I uh, I didn't realize, I guess, until I uh, until I came over to my current job in the private sector. Um, which I, I'm the director of bug bounty at Intel Corporation. So that is what I do for oh, Intel. Oh, cool. Awesome. My current job. Yep. So I transitioned over to Intel about um, nine months ago. And it's funny because all my friends here in DC still work in the intelligence community. And so when I when they ask, oh, where'd you go? I was like, oh, to Intel. And they're like, yeah, but mm-hmm. which one? Which and I'm one? like, yeah, yeah. no, 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 no. To the corporation of <laughs> Intel. So that's that's what I do over at uh, over at Intel, and it's you know it's I had a huge learning curve. I didn't realize it until I moved over to the private sector that uh, I was kind of trained by the I would say like the the biggest minds in the community. Vulnerability management's a small community, right? And so like I didn't realize I was the quintessential DC insider. It never occurred to me until I moved <laughs> over to Intel, and then <clears throat> we would have these questions would come up. And somebody would say something. They'd be like, oh, what is this software bill of materials thing? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to go oh, ask Alan no. Freeman about it. Oh, no. And they're like, what yeah. do you mean? I'm like, oh, we have weekly like happy hours. But Alan's a good friend of mine. And then like right. somebody would say something about like, uh, like phone coordination. I'd be like, let me go ask Art Mannion about it. And I, yep. it didn't occur to me that I was trained by some of the best, brightest minds. Dina is one of them uh, in vulnerability coordination. So that was a... I am forever thankful for that because they set the stage and really, really helped me figure out like who is what and what is where and what all this vuln coordination stuff is and the difference between a vulnerability and an exposure and a misconfiguration and a zero day and, and a feature. Always. Yeah. It's a feature. It was feature. meant to be that way. But that's a good, that's a good, like, 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 it's like many segue, but like how important networking is and then like the people, you know, in our field and, and just in general, I think we've talked about this on every single podcast, but like, it really is like, I mean, that's how we're sitting here today doing this because like, I know you via work, but also via my what, you know what I mean? It's like the connections you make, but it's surprising. Like, but when you can be like, Oh, something's going on with this, be like, all right, I'll just email the person. Cause I talk to them like three times a week anyways. So what's the fourth time to talk to them about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, this be about work, but other times it's about aviation gin. But yeah, exactly. What to do which with is, all those lemons? Which what is really good. Really good gin, by the way. Also, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Uh, shout out to Ryan Reynolds Gin. <laughs> aviation. 
<laughs> Make sure you put it in the transcript so it's like uh, indexable. <laughs> oh, I'm going oh, to yeah. tag <laughs> him. Eat the Twitter Deadpool. hell out of him. <laughs> He's like, what is this podcast? Yeah. Guys, you know, leave yeah. me alone. I'll drink his gin. If he sends it to me for free, I'll drink it. I mean... I'll drink it for a month. I don't care. Someone needs to start giving us sponsors somewhere along the way. <laughs> Shout out to those people that want to go. I still have to buy my own gin. I know. Still buy my own beer. My beer glasses. I'm not ashamed to buy my own beer. I'm an adult. But I didn't mean to railroad that. I just want to add in the past. Oh, no, I think that was my fault, actually. The, the networking aspect of it. But like how important that is to like even some of the jobs we do and like, we still do it. Like I may or may not have a conversation with people recently and they're like, well, how do you get your information? I'm like, well, Twitter. And then I like reach out to my friends in the community or on like my yep. private Slack channels, you know, and hit them up about yep. something. Right. Like it's not, I'm not reading like 16 different blogs a day to get all my information. Some of it I just get from friends. Right. It's just, uh, you know, or hear about it anyway. or something yeah you can't read too much yeah, but to read. <laughs> you probably don't realize how like novel that is in the tech career field like in the tech ecosystem that's actually super novel concept right and you wouldn't have thought so like i don't have a big background in like tech i have a i passed the ceh test like i know what an ip address is damn, <laughs> damn take yeah. that people yeah. are a certified ethical hacker oh, oh geez. yeah sure Look out. yeah I know, right? <laughs> and I still go back to Dina and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I think I asked one of my guys at one point when I was first starting uh, at the Inkick, I was like, what is SSH? And they're like, uh, and I was like, no, seriously, is it like super secret handshake or what? Like, yeah. what is this? Super uh, secret handshake. That's a sticker. Yeah. We're making that a sticker. SSH. Super secret, <laughs> SSH, super secret handshake. You can figure out how to like two hands like... I mean, you work yeah. kind of off in that, right? I mean, there's a handshake that's involved in the process oh, yeah. of like. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, um, but this idea of like somebody who's a good communicator, that's something that's like a prized sort of trait in the community these days. Like you can code well, but that's not enough anymore. <laughs> like you got to be able to talk to a real life human being too. Um, and you got to be able to like, I don't know, th those kind of soft skills are now, you see it more and more in job recs, right? You didn't used to because like, if you had an IT background or a security background or like, then that was enough. But nowadays it's not enough. It's not. And it's kind of like to have that kind of ability to communicate and to have that good network. That's something that's actually highly sought after uh, I, I a think, lot of big companies. I think back to my days in central Maryland and how, how many times that I saw Rex get filled with, uh, you know, uh, do you breathe and do you have a clearance? And like that's pretty much, oh God, yeah. that was pretty yeah, much yeah. it. And like, that was good enough. Like once you move outside of like that, just, you know, build the government world, you're, you're spot on by saying like, you need people that can talk outside of just your office yeah. space. Like, you cause need, if you think you for an ad out. for a second that like an adversary is following like a rule book, you are very wrong. <laughs> you gotta be I able think to think creatively. And if you can't, then you're never going to be able to do security well. And I think to add on to that too, is like, you not just communicate all like, you know, pen to paper, keyboard to like Twitter and all that stuff. Like you have to be able to do speak in front of people and speak to a group of people or just speak on a conference call. Right. And, which yep. is just the worst. Cause I hate it. It's always like, oh, no, oh, wait, uh, you go. No, uh, I'll, hey I'll go. You go. 
you don't I, like I, you don't like that kind of thing. You should you should observe first grade uh, remote learning <laughs> for the school year. So my niece is. today, she's six, and today was her first day of remote learning. She's in first grade, and yeah. she spent the entire day underneath the desk. Yeah, yeah. My kid, <laughs> my kid cried the first day after his first one hour session. He just, he just cried. Like, but you know, was... I feel bad about it. But like, it's got to be really hard on them Sad. too. Like, we laugh about it, but at the same time, like when you think about it, I heard somebody say the other day, like, imagine how it is for like a seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old. They don't understand even a little younger, like in daycare. Their parents pick them up in March, and then they never saw their friends again. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think, How hard I is think that to that, process? that's a great point too. I think a lot of that got lost in the translation of like, we're going to just, everything's, we're just going to go remote and everything's yeah. going to be fine once we pick back up remote because that's, you know, fine. It's fine. It's, like, it's, it's fine when you're 18 and 18 to 35 or 60 or whatever. And you can, yeah. you know, you have friends and you have a phone and you know, you have a network, but these kids, they only knew those kids in that class or like they, yeah. they have their friends on the street and like they need so, a social aspect of their life and we're not giving it to them goes back to that term last week we talked about sonder right sonder right the world they oh, yeah. live in is so you, small yeah like the the world of a little kid's mind of what the world actually exists is so small yeah but even like even talk about the technology aspect of it like because of teaching i'm getting all the emails about oh we're going to teach all these professors grown human beings how to use zoom how can you imagine a six-year-old knowing how to unmute themselves? Oh, Zoom? hey, that is a that's a skill that they're learning. Like that is no joke. They are, you know, the teacher they're spending has probably like an hour a day, right? Like talk about every, what every morning they is. go twenty minutes. They give a they. She has like one question to everybody. They say like a call and response. Like, would you rather eat apples or oranges for the rest of your life? And then she'll call in the one at a time, and it's basically their time to practice muting and unmuting themselves. Jesus, there it's. That's it's painful. I mean, it's needed. It is it's needed, though. Yeah, well, I mean, what's, if that's what you're going to do, the kids have to learn the skill to do it. And then some kids, kids don't mute them. There's sometimes kids don't mute themselves. And you'll hear, like, grandma on the back putting away dishes. She's like, cha-ching, cha-ching. And it's like the worst conference call you've ever been on. I'm like, my kid's not bothered about it somehow. I'm over here losing my mind on this <laughs> side. I'm like, I'm ready to throw stuff through the screen. Like, I'm ready to walk over here and be like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like, Lucy. <laughs> Lucy, what? Lucy's grandma. <laughs> Mute her mic. Oh man, some you know sometimes stuff would just get messed up, like the you know the the um, the transcoding of like the the audio just gets weird, and the teacher sounds like a robot. My kid thinks it's hilarious. He's like, oh, she sounds like a robot. Like, dude, that is not funny. Wait, wait until you have to do that for a job someday. Like, it's awful. See, I don't anyway. mind it. I don't mind it at all. Anyway. Like, I think a lot of people are suffering with the COVID, like oh. work from home, and I'm like, I'm fine. Like, I'm, I'm, I, uh, this guy's I don't ready. Need to see this people. guy's ready to get back in. I see I'm ready. ready to see the, the. I'm ready to move to some land out in the middle of Colorado, like yeah. 20, you know, ten acres, little high speed internet. That's all I need. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You got this saying behind you that says, "Do good work and don't worry about the rest." Right? So that's that's just kind of you seem you seem a little bit more chill about that sort of thing than I am right now. Well, yeah, she also has a dinosaur picture, which Nina actually spot on said because I was like, "What else does Katie like?" Like, I was trying to pick a glass and try like themed it to you or something like that. She's like, "Well, she likes Jurassic Park and she probably has a dinosaur picture in her office." Swear to God, oh, she said those exact words. And I don't know if you, you told her that beforehand, but she said <laughs> the exact not. same thing. And what's right behind? Little is that Velociraptor? I think it's a Velociraptor. It is a T Rex wearing a tutu with a crown. (laughs) Perfect. Basically, Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yep. I got little golden dinosaurs hiding on the shelves. Back I saw there, those too. guys back there. They're they're just you know peeking out. It's that triceratops down there. Yeah, yeah. I figure mm-hmm. like at this point in life, I am who I am, and if you're not okay with that, I mean, on this prob- wall behind probably me, probably a problem I, with you. I, I I've been redoing in my office. I had like a bunch of like Joker paintings and, and artwork behind here, and people were always like. I could tell that they were like looking at it and like, listen, Joker's my favorite character of all time. And I Batman. Yeah, I mean, I have the required like military unit picture back over there sure. too. I mean, I got my coins up above me that I've is been it, coined. Is that a presidential seal in a plaque behind you of some sort? Or is that just maybe uh, National Weather Service? I can't tell. <laughs> that it's is definitely a... National Weather Service. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security's award. So my team last year won an award from the Secretary of Homeland Security um, for coordinating and disclosing over 20,000 cybersecurity vulnerabilities. Awesome. Over a two-year period. Holy cow. Yeah. So in 18 and 19, we coordinated and disclosed for public consumption over 20,000 cybersecurity vulnerabilities. In 2017, we coordinated and disclosed... 14,800 cybersecurity vulnerabilities, 14,000 IT, and 800 ICS. So, Katie, how would you say that you, uh, what, what technically is, you know, coordinated vulnerability disclosure? What, what would you say it is, since you are, you know, the, uh, I guess, the expert that we've had so far? I am the current expert, the one, that, the one that's uh, here. You're um, in the lead. I don't really know anyone else that's, you know. Other than well, angry people. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a good company, so uh, I will say that. Um, so CVD, Coordinated Vulnerability Disclosure, is a process. And it's kind of a, for those that don't know, um, CVD is a process that the whole thing is around um, reducing an adversary advantage while a mitigation is kind of being developed. So uh, if a researcher, i.e. a hacker, finds a vulnerability, a bug, a flaw, a weakness, um, in the code. So like there's a couple different different versions of what a vulnerability is and like to me It's kind of important to get that background of a vulnerability is like a weakness in a computing system that allows a Attacker to do something they should not be doing right So it's allows it's a weakness that allows an attacker or an adversary or anybody to do something the original developer did not intend so there's a difference between like a zero-day vulnerability in a product and a misconfiguration on a website, right? Those things are different. Um, that's an entirely another podcast as to how they're different. Just know that they are different. So CBD is all around zero day vulnerabilities um, and in some cases misconfigurations on websites too, but it's a process and the process is all about reducing adversary advantage. So if a researcher or a hacker, depending on what, what you want to call who, these days, sometimes we call them finders. I don't know, reporters. I don't know. There's a lot of. I think I think we're gonna go with researcher. Uh, researcher. <laughs> Independent <laughs> researcher. researcher. Independent researcher. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, if a researcher finds a vulnerability in uh, in a, a service, a software, a product, a hardware, they can report that to the vendor in some cases. And so, CVD is like a. It's a process. Um, it's kind of a sort of not really a standard, but it's also it's a process <laughs> and mm-hmm. everyone has different imp- implementations of that process. So working with like, say a digital service vendor and working with like a hardware industrial control system vendor, the application of that process is going to be different. And so like timelines are going to be different and uh, process steps are going to be different, but the basic steps are, are this, the finder reports that vulnerability to the vendor or the product owner. 
the product owner looks at it, triages it, said, yes, we look at usually two things. One, is the source credible? Two, is, the, is, it, is this vulnerability technologically feasible? And if those are yes, then it moves on to the tech team. So tech teams, usually it's the product developer. So that would be like the people who actually created the device or the software itself. They'll go through and look at it and say like, yep, this is a legit cybersecurity vulnerability. We did not see this coming. Uh, and they'll develop a mitigation for it. That oh, mitigation. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cut in right there. Like, so yep. what, what do you do when the vendor uh, gets back to you and is like, that's not what a, a vulnerability is. And even though, you know, maybe you disagree uh, fundamentally or like factually, but they're like, we're totally not fixing that. That's not a, that's not a real thing. Like what, what, how does that get kicked around then? Like what, who's responsible at this point? Yeah, that's a tough one because it ultimately does lie with the vendor, right? So we like for all vendors to be benevolent and for in the best interest of, of the product. And so like for the most part, overwhelmingly, most people who subscribe to CBD are doing it for the good of the ecosystem, right? So it's, it's a difficult process for everyone. But the idea is that whether you're a vendor or a user or a finder, everyone's thinking about the same thing and that's reducing harm and securing the end user, like making sure the end user is as safe as possible. That's what it's all about. It's about herd immunity and making sure that if we're all stronger together, I know, right? <laughs> if we're all stronger together, then it reduces the, the ability for like an adversary to do bad things. Shout so, out to Sweden, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I know, right? So like, <laughs> when you think about things like um, if you want like a actual because people people don't really understand like why this is important. Right. And so I would oh say, oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. It's important. That's, yes, it's very important. Yeah, it's important because think about WannaCry, not Petya, like biggest yeah. cyber attack in the world. Right. <clears throat> and the third, second, third order effects of that have still not been calculated. Um, the, the, the I think the penalties on it, like in the billions of dollars. And it all came from a vulnerability that was disclosed for uh, Eternal Blue. And mm -hmm. that was patched <laughs> six months before the WannaCry Not Petya attack. Yep. And so it came down to patch application. And those who applied the patch did not become victims of, and that's what, that's what it goes back to. Like, so there's this kind of like push and pull between like, threat intelligence and vulnerability management. And I'm on the vulnerability management side, right? I'm like, I'm on the side of like, it's cool trick, bro. You get to know who's attacking you. But like, it, people spend millions and millions of dollars on these like threat feeds and stuff. And it's, it's sexy. It's real cool, right? But like, does it help you as, a, as like a regular company, as an end user out there? Say you run like a mom and pop's bakery. Does it help you to spend that, you know, hundreds of thousands, million dollars for maybe you run a chain of mom and pop's bakeries, right? Like, right, um, right. does it help you to know who's attacking you? Like, unless you're, you can respond in kind, it doesn't really help you. The, what does help you is understanding TTPs in a general way in order to understand how, how to secure yourself. That part of threat intelligence is really important. But unless you can respond in kind, either by prosecution or by return attacks, like threat intelligence, I don't know. Like I would, I spend more of my time and effort on vulnerability management because that's all about securing yourself, right? That's an action that you can take as like an end user, as mom and pop's bakery, you can take that step to secure yourself. You can close your own holes. It's all about asset management and being responsible and like understanding your own risk profile and taking that, that step to secure yourself. So there's not been that, just to piggyback on what you just said is that there's been that whole thread, I would say in the last like probably month about are threat feeds actual valuable? 
I don't know if there was a whole article written about it and stuff. Like it was like, and it rolled around, you know, the Twitter sock, InfoSec Twitter world about like, you're paying for all this money, but how valuable is it actually? And it's like, huh, that's a good the question. The value is, is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, like it depends on who you are. If you're, yep. if you're like a fortune, you know, 50 bank and you have the ability to like take legal prosecution, legal steps to, to, you know, apply attribution and do something about it, then yeah, maybe it's beneficial to you. Maybe that's, that's a beneficial step for you. But if you're just trying to like get through your day and turn a profit as like a restaurant owner or a small business owner or a medium sized business owner, like if you're just trying to secure your, your systems, maybe you're a school, maybe you're like Newington, New Hampshire's high school, right? You're just trying to secure your networks. Is it beneficial to you to have that kind of knowledge? Like it's beneficial to you to understand in a general way, the threat landscape. But is it beneficial to you to know exactly the person in the place oh, at the time that did the thing? Like, uh, I don't know. It's more important to you to understand how they did the thing. Like, how did they get into your network? That's what's important. And Mom. that you can find out through other means. Mom and Pop just want to like threat sell feeds, some I tell you that. donuts. Nah, threat no, feeds threat feeds, I'm going to tell you that. I, I would agree. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, there's a high, <laughs> shout out to Ryan Reynolds also over here. Uh, <laughs> God, I had that. Yeah, no, that's a... Shout out to Ryan yeah. Reynolds. <laughs> it depends like, on who you are. Yeah, no, I mean, you talked about it for a second, like where you, where you were like, there's there's kind of like two sides of the fence. Like, do I do I send this vulnerability in, or do I just kind of sit on it? Right? Did you you talked about that real fast? Like, I'm on the vulnerability disclosure side. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a researcher and you've got a vuln, like. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you, man. I'm like, I'm sitting here with bated breath waiting to receive your, your submission, right? Like I want your, I want your submission and I run a bug bounty program. So I'm gonna pay you for it too. If I can, <laughs> like if it's a valid vulnerability. Show and, me the money. Is it, is it right. a lucrative bug bounty program? Like, are you, are you giving out substantial bonuses for this or is like, or, or are you just trying to like not pay people and I'm offended. Uh, no, no, I'm <laughs> just wondering stupid. because like I've I've seen that on Twitter before, Infosec Twitter, where it's like, oh, hey, totally submitted this to a company, yeah. you know, that has uh, Nasdaq, yeah, ticker yeah. thing. This and they were like, no, you're not getting anything for that. That's trash. And it's like oh, I can totally write an exploit and ruin your you ruin your life, <laughs> and so, you don't, you know. Pay. Yeah, no, no, I get you. And no like, pay. that was one of the big frustrations that I think that I saw a lot in my previous position, because our job was to advocate for, you know, both sides, right? So I always used to joke, like when I was at the department, like, I don't, I'm not on the side of the researcher, I'm not on the side of the vendor, I'm on the side of the taxpayer. And like, my job is to make sure that that vulnerability gets disclosed and it gets patched in a timely manner to protect the public. Like, that's the idea, right? At the end of the day, nothing else matters. It's about protecting the end user. Um, I think most people have that in mind, but yeah, there are some bad actors. There are some bad faith companies. Um, I know that there are, and I'm sure that you interact with them on InfoStack Twitter, but for the most part, if you're serious about doing coordinated vulnerability disclosure and you've got like, you've got a serious program, you are on the side of wanting to fix those, pro those, those vulnerabilities. The, the more I fight about not fixing the vulnerability, the worse it is for me. Right. So like, that doesn't make sense. Even in a business case, it doesn't make sense. Right. If you put up a fight about not fixing a vulnerability um, or not acknowledging that that's a real vulnerability from a business sense in a general way, not like my company, but like in a general way, no, then yeah. what's going to happen is the Twitter storm's going to start. Right. And then you end up with this like bigger fight 
and bigger, it just draws more attention to it, right? Like I would rather that my security updates become routine. I would rather that patches get put out in a timely manner so that people can secure themselves and people know that they can buy the product because the product is as secure as possible. That's a really good point that you, you brought up because Kyle and I talked about that last week with Brian about how, uh, oh, and I just lost my train of thought. Um, uh, we, when we did uh, responsible vulnerability disclosure for the, the device that we worked on for our, um, our, Black, our DEF CON presentation two years ago, yeah. they never got back to us. And you know he, he reached out and he reached out and he had our coordinator reach out. And nobody responded. Like, you almost like I it doesn't matter. You know how I eventually got a hold of someone from the company? Like, third hand via Slack channel that I was on because I was helping plan the hack to see village. Someone knew someone because I worked at that company. Like, it was like because I was invited to that Slack channel and I that person invited someone else, he, he or she got me an email address for a person that responded. But this was like yeah. – six weeks out and yeah. this is also like five months into trying to coordinate right and coming from the original coordinators we're trying to do our due diligence right so then now yeah. we're putting like the most sticky place of anybody that does anything right because yeah, like, yeah we had to like redact some things in the presentation because like we're still going forward man it's just right because like, conferences not, have requirements and those requirements are that you followed cbd yeah and that's and yeah. it's not our fault you didn't respond to our emails that went to a black hole in your you know your captive portal area who knows where know, they right? went man where yeah i don't know yeah. where they went so and that's the point where you know it, it sucks you know it's you know yeah, but it, it, it happened and it's out there and we got i don't know if things were patched because that wasn't part of the our process to follow, follow up with yeah. that right i mean we hope that things were or weren't i don't know so it's sticky, right? And it's difficult. And there's like a, it's a philosophical conversation that definitely is drinks required. Um, so there's like, <laughs> there are, there are the, there is the philosophical debate of uh, CVD or everything in the public all the time, right? So that's a, that yeah. is a philosophical debate that exists, right? Does it, does it follow CVD or does it, does it, everything just get dropped in the public to start with? And that is like, there are people on very who have very very strong feelings about both sides. Like I am on the CBD side. I'm on the side of let's try to fix it before we tell everybody in the world about it and give an adversary an advantage. Now that requires a certain amount of accountability and responsibility yep. and understanding of a social responsibility. And I think that that is difficult. And there's a lot of pieces involved in that. So like I don't I understand. And like each case is going to be different. So I can't say like what happened in that particular case that you're talking about. But um, I know that there are some, there are some pretty interesting situations going on. So like, for instance, like I always like mark this down as one of my favorite stories about CBD. So like I said, I worked at the, at the department, right. And our job was basically if a, uh, the first thing we asked somebody whenever they submitted a vulnerability to us was, have you coordinated, have you contacted the vendor? The vendor? Yep. Right. And if they said no, we said, please contact the vendor. It was like form stops please contact the vendor. And then if they say yes, we say, when did you contact the vendor and what was the outcome of that contact? And if they said vendor, you know, didn't, didn't respond back to me, it's been three months. Uh, then we would say, okie dokie, we shall take your case. Um, and we'll contact the vendor on your behalf. Um, and so, or if they say like the vendor threatened to sue us, like if they say something confrontational, something bad happened, then we would take that case and look into it a little deeper because we had the resources to do that, right? This was a government funded organization that has the resources and the time and the effort and the expertise to do those things. 
but and shame on that vendor for doing such thing well so don't i mean hold your judgment hold your judgment like i understand that you're smart and your colleagues are smart and you're trying to do the best that you can and you're like invested in this security research but man let me tell you like there have been instances where uh social engineering training works like it's a sure. double-edged sword, right? So like as the Department of Homeland Security, right? I'm, hey, I'm Katie Trimble from the Department of Homeland Security and I'm calling about this vulnerability that I heard from these people. And people would go, uh, let me transfer you to my marketing section. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to go to your Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hold on, let me, you should have stayed online for that. I kind of yeah. want to hear how that one goes. Yes. Right, and so, and then you call back again and I'm through that same 1-800 number. And I have a, I used to have a fleet of, you know, wonderful PCER engineers who this is, they did all day long was coordinate these cases. And so they would have to try to call these different companies and say, you know, hey, uh, we found somebody reported this vulnerability. It's a real problem. We need to fix it. And we would get like, oh, you're, uh, you're Mark from the Department of Homeland Security. Of course you are. Mm-hmm, I've heard about you. Click. And no. like, because social engineering training, like that has, it's the double-edged sword, oh, right? It, no. it works. It works. And I don't have any magic way to like communicate that I really was, you know, this person who really did have this responsibility short of passing PGP key, which means I had to actually like get somebody's contact information, right? So I'm going to, that leads me up to my like best story ever, right? So we had this, <laughs> this vulnerability disclosure and we had this company who did not know that they were a software vendor. And I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, they did not know they were a software vendor. And wait, you're like, wait, yeah, yeah. You're like, you how is that even possible? transferred to the marketing department to kind of <laughs> try to straighten that out? Man, I was like, I talked to like the CEO. I talked to like every, well, like the they, finance did they, department. Did they, did they say they made firmware and they're like, firmware is not software? Because that's- No, funny. it's even better than that. Um, so what had happened was this is a news platform, right? So this was a news company, a company that does the news, and they had in-house written this app that lets them publish news content, right? And it was really good. Like it did subscriptions, it did like publishing news content. It was really awesome. And so over the years, this was written in-house by like some guy in, I don't know, budget who was like, I got a project, I'm gonna build this app. And uh, so they did, <laughs> right? And this w- it worked out really well. And then they said, well, you know, we're about to like go bankrupt because we can't get any ad funding and we don't have the same, like we're not getting the ad, the funding, the revenue streams that we used to get. So what do we have for alternate revenue streams? And they're like, well, we got this really cool app. Um, mm. And so they licensed the app to other news vendors, right? And so the other news vendors could then put their logo on it, put their coloring, their branding, do all the things. And, but it was still, it was still that original guy in like the IT department who yeah. wrote it, right? So now this oh, app no. has blown up. It's all over. All these news outlets are using this app and it's awesome. And it takes subscriptions, which means that if you hack it, you break it, you get people's PII and financial information. Oh my. And, and it did. was probably just some dude that was just like dinking around like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could have an app? I took a JavaScript like, class. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, I was, I'm really right. good at Python kind of maybe. Hey, you guys yeah, exactly. C++? But it was a really good app, right? It was really well thought out. It was really professional. Oh, it looked, no. it was In great. It was look and feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it worked well for all these other people, all these other news outlets. And then someday, uh, one day, somebody figured out that so it had some vulnerabilities oh. in it. 
and they reported it to that vendor. And that vendor was like, I don't know who you are. You sound like a scammer. This sounds like social engineering. I've been warned about this because I took my social engineering class and I listened to that podcast about cybersecurity. And I know when I'm talking to somebody who's a hacker, right? They're bad. And researcher. Yeah, exactly. Researcher. (laughs) Right. So because of that, right, like they didn't take it seriously because they genuinely didn't know what CVD was. They didn't know that they had a responsibility Mm -hmm. to patch it. They didn't know that there was like, this was not something that they did as a business. Like as a a software vendor is different, but like they're because of the like embedded nature of like the world we live in, the complexity has changed so much that you have these vendors who don't know. And like, Think about like medical devices. Medical devices didn't no, use to send your telemetry I don't, I don't data. Want to. Right, it's scary. They didn't use to send your telemetry data to your like cell phone and to your uh, into your doctor's <laughs> office, right? So now there's that social obligation and that requirement to protect that data and to make sure those systems are secure. They used to just be the person who created the heart rate monitor, not the person who did the programming as well, right? And so the world has changed. So before you like think too harshly consider the fact that the world has changed and it's not always as clear i'm just i'm I'm semi-shaming the people that immediately go to i'm gonna sue you that's all i'm shaming at before well so that's a big change we've seen actually that's a huge change we've seen and i think that there was a lot of change that happened under was it ddcma um digital millennium copyright act dmca yeah DMCA, yeah. So like when that when that law changed and opened it up for security research and medical devices, that sort of changed the game for security research. And also like we've seen a huge change in the last like 10, 15 years, well, 10, 5, 10 years really, um, in vendors, like big product owners who have said, you know, like we want to know if you find a problem, you know, we still have our own internal red team. We still have our own QC. We still have all of our own product security, but we also, if, if we miss something, we want to know, but that's a mindset that's changed over the last couple of years. Yeah. It's it's changing more and more, and it's a good thing. We we I mean, start to oh, see that it, more and it's more. It's absolutely a great thing. You want to see companies that are responsible in uh, fixing their software vulnerabilities, or, or or wanting people to find them and show you that they they found something that's you know pretty serious, right? Yeah. You, no, nobody wants to run around thinking their pacemaker can get stopped by like Bluetooth. Yeah, I mean, so there's a case for like the the public disclosure, the full public disclosure. And because there are there are companies and there are people who are bad faith actors, right? They're just, no matter what you do, they're not gonna be responsible. But like, again, I go back to the, if you're serious about CBD, if you're a mature company that takes your product seriously, I, I have not interacted with a company who didn't like respect the boundaries of CBD and wanna get it fixed. There mm-hmm. are things that happen. Right, like it's hard, especially like in a P-cert, everyone hates you in the P-cert. Like, oh, <laughs> I know it's, that can't be true. It's totally <laughs> true, it's totally true. Everyone hates you. <laughs> like your company hates you, everyone inside your company hates you, um, <laughs> everyone outside hates you, and hate is a strong word, hate is a strong word. I, I, I shouldn't use that, but it's difficult, right? So like imagine as a P-cert engineer, you have a, you're at a company that makes like a thousand different products, right? You have to, you get these submissions and you're getting like 50 to 100 submissions a day and you're trying to go through and say what's real and what's not, what's garbage and what's people trying to waste your time. And sometimes things get missed, right? So they're trying to go through and do this triage and they've got to learn, like they've got a thousand products that they got to cover, right? And so, yeah, it's not as easy as you think. And I mean, like, sh- say, say there's only 12 PCERT engineers for a multi-billion dollar organization that's all over the globe. 
I mean, you that's, that's shout out like to the PCR people. Like, I didn't get it until you know. Obviously, Dina took over a role. Like, yeah, I don't envy what you all do. I don't want to yeah, do so like, what you all do. But like yeah, you, you, you go through, you, you look are at the them. front door, and you're also you're the front door on the outside coming in, and you're also like the front door from inside, like you know, out, oh, yeah. right? And it's yeah, like, no one wants to hear they have an ugly this baby. Is, this is this is right? yeah, this is right. This is a second party discussion, like my thought process of it, like yeah, yeah. And I imagine how it is oh. for like for like if I receive a submission, right, and it's a valid, legit thing. The thing that drives me crazy is breadcrumbs. Like, don't leave me breadcrumbs. What do you mean by breadcrumb? What, what what is that in your in in your when terms? when we have submission? Oh, like, well, we don't hear. But like I have experienced where researchers will or people in general, anybody will say like, oh, well, I gave you this hint and that hint and that hint and this thing over here. And you should have been able to find all these variants. You should have known about any level of research and you would have found this thing. I told you about that. You're the detective. You go detect. And it's like, don't leave me breadcrumbs, man. You're I got not like, a detective. Th- like, that's your job. I can't read right. your mind. Tell me right. what you I want. I have 50 other cases. There's 12 of us. This is a <laughs> multi, you know, national com- uh, company all over the world. Like, I have 50 other cases I got to get through today. Like, give me a proof of concept. Give me solid reporting. Don't give me garbage. And, like, when you receive all that stuff, and imagine, like, going through, that's your day. You go through and you look at all of these reports and you triage them. And then you got to figure out what product that goes to who that person is within your own organization then you got to go tell them they have an ugly baby oh yeah yeah no, you know, they don't want to you know. no, no. <laughs> so don't, think about I don't, it like think about yeah. that like the toll that it takes right so you've got to go fight the fight i don't and envy say, you. yeah <laughs> no, and say like to a product engineer like i'm sorry but this product is broken <laughs> exactly this product is broken here's all the ways that there's a weakness here we're really concerned about it we need to develop a mitigation we need to work cooperatively with the researcher and that that product engineer may or may not want to work with you do so it you comes typically back to what we talked about before building social skills do that in person or do you email that where you where you got to tell them they have the, the ugly baby like do you uh how how do you break the news to somebody they probably get an email that says fucking ugly i would send chocolates and balloons <laughs> So, so yeah, it's a, actually it's a 50 set a, different you, product engineers for a thousand different yeah, products. <laughs> sorry, guys, bad yeah. news. So, like, so I've it's called you all here today to tell you that you have an ugly baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And then, you, then they're going to go to their boss and they're going to say, Katie's being mean to me. Right. She says, I have an ugly baby, and I don't have an ugly baby. My baby's perfect. And then they're going to oh, go and say, How much it costs them to build not my that baby? baby. And then their boss is going to get mad at me and they're going to go tell my boss. Like, imagine, like, this is what's going on. Like, Uh, PCERN engineers are genuinely trying to be your advocate, right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't envy you or Dina. I I hear this a lot, like, from the It's coming from every direction. And, like, people burn out because no matter what they do, there's never a good case, right? Like, so that's the thing about coordinated vulnerability disclosure, right? It's a compromise, which means that you walk away 80% happy. So if people are 80% happy, somebody is 20% unhappy. And that's just the nature of the game, right? I'm, I'm good with a B. What's Never going to make life? everybody 100% happy, but, but you know, you do your very best to make sure you got to keep your eyes on the prize. What's the goal? 
the goal is, do I want to win this argument or do I want to secure the product? Right. I'm not here like haters going to hate. That's just how it is. Like, I'm not here to like have a Twitter war with somebody. I'm here to secure some networks and like do the best thing that I can for the end user. Yeah. That's my goal. If it's a if it's a Twitter war, just like make sure it's nice and like you know, subtweety, sarcastic, smarmy. Like that's that's the kind I like. Don't go directly. I like the little person. dinosaurs and things. And, yeah, that's you know, it. And it was it was very weird to like the department, right? The homeland department of homeland security. When I started going to like briefing at DEFCON, when I started doing talks at DEFCON, they were like, "Oh, I don't know about this." And then they loosened up, much like most big companies do. Because they were like, well, they're going to get mad at you. Like, they're going to yell at you. You work for the government. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? It's really hard for someone to be really mean to your face. Like, yep. it's a lot easier for them to do that via Twitter or make a yep. big, you know, to be difficult, right? To be, to be hurtful and to be aggressive. It's harder for them to do that in, in, to your face. So if I'm sitting at the table, at least I took the time to show up. And that like earns you respect and that earns you credibility within the community. People care whenever you take the time to show up. Can I tell you my favorite part about CVD though? Like my favorite thing? Oh yeah, tell it. Okay. I mean, I'll, yeah, tell me your favorite part and then we'll, we'll get right. there. We'll, we'll figure out where it goes. Well, Kyle so will figure my, out where it goes because he's really My favorite thing about coordinated vulnerability disclosure is that every single day is a treasure hunt. Every single day is a treasure huh. hunt because the nature of zero day vulnerabilities are things that no one has ever seen before, ever. It's only the researcher and that piece of engineer who have ever seen that before. So I get to unpack a treasure hunt every single day like isn't that brilliant isn't that amazing like there's no playbook on this every day oh, i is. get to learn something new yeah that's well, i mean you're doing, when you you're doing it every day when you flip it like that that sounds like enticing you wonder why there's not more people that want to do p-cert type work right because it's well, an aggressive job well that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's the other half of it like the researchers these well, well having having been on that side of the fence the researcher is the easy part because you you look and you spend hours and days and months looking for like one thing and then you kick it over the wall to somebody else and be like hey check this thing out and then like you don't care about it anymore you're looking for the next thing like you're getting hit with these over and over and over and over again you're like oh man whoa 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 look at that look at that thing oh man busy box is really super awesome and then uh out you go it's a it's a amazingly you get to be on the forefront of the changing technology like every single day it's changing it's something different and that's really cool. Should, uh, yeah, I mean, I think working where you work in any big corporation, I think it's it's all new. And I think I'm pretty sure like the days that you have like down days, you're like, man, why isn't there anything coming in my email box? But maybe you take a brief moment and be like, I'm glad nothing's coming in my email box. I wish like <laughs> if think? I'm not if I'm not doing like I'm auditing tickets, I'm going through making sure, sure. that we've got the right processes. I'm building frameworks. I'm like running. Oh well, yeah, I'm not saying meetings. it's just answering emails of like security researchers. I'm not. I'm not yeah. dumping down your. That's job. my favorite part. <laughs> I mean, I, in, in the last yeah. closing, last closing thought about CBD. <laughs> do you think that like you know the pandemic and quarantine has? Do you think as overall in the ecosystem of CBD? Do you think it's increased people searching and trying to find things? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's the the problem is that there are multiple different kinds of technology in play here, right? So I think that there's been a marked increase in things like digital services and software vulnerabilities, and that's based on access and skill level. So there are awesome bug bounty programs out there. People are making you know a little bit of extra money when they've been laid off from their job. They suddenly have some time. They can tinker with things and the surface area for that tends to be your digital services, your websites, and your and your software 
So hardware and industrial control system, embedded devices, yeah, I see an uptake on that because everybody's curious about your Fitbit or your Nest thermostat, something like that. So uh -huh. those are a little harder and they take more time and money um, because you got to have the device, right? And you got to be willing to break the device. So those, uh. those are, I think we haven't seen a big uptick with people with submissions on that, but I can definitely say that in the community, I think there's been an uptake on the digital services and the software vulnerability submissions. Yeah, and it's good because it makes everybody stronger. And it helps somebody earn some money on the side if they, you know, and it helps them sharpen exactly. their career. 100% honest. As soon as this started, I started to break into, well, not break, but I started to do analysis on my uh, ring security system at home. And uh, you got to the part where you just said, you got to be willing to break it. And I was like, well, I think I have to crack the, uh, the case on this open and start looking at chips. And I'm not ready for that. So. Yeah. Which I mean, it's also Quit. just a good thing about some walking. But if but you're I mean, going to start doing that, you need to read the policy of the of that vendor real closely because yeah. just because you found something doesn't necessarily mean that it falls within the scope of their policy. Policy of what? Typically, the bug bounty policy. Now, bug oh, bounty oh, is a tool, oh, listen, right? I, so if you want to get uh, money for it, yeah, then, yeah. If you don't care, like that's a good thing about bug bounties, right? It, it, you, yeah. I mean, you, I think. And you, where you work has it explicitly out, but if you go to like HackerOne or BugCrowd, they're specifically laid out like, here is the lay of the land. Like, cause I've done a few of them. I'm like, you yeah. can't do this. This is in scope. This is definitely out of scope. So it's like, and you definitely see your, like you hear about like stories like, oh, I found this. Like, like that was out of scope. Why do you do that? And for the most part, vendors will still accept out of scope submissions if you can show that there's actual harm. It may not fall, it may not be an actual, like what we would consider a vulnerability in the CVE mm -hmm. sense of a vulnerability, but it may be like an attack vector. And a lot of vendors will still accept that, but you may not get the bounty for it because it doesn't yep. fall within the scope. They're trying to incentivize. So, sure. so the bug bounty doesn't, bug bounty is a tool. It's not the CVD program, right? It's, right? it's the things that that vendor is trying to incentivize research in. So still submit them, because you know you're a benevolent person who cares about securing the end user right and securing yourself and giving exactly. the vendor the opportunity to fix it but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get paid for it exactly yeah i wasn't trying to get paid you know that's just <laughs> katie how do people how do you want people to reach out to you if you want them to reach out what's the best way to get a hold of you, you also in say the, no in, in the in the katie world and if not <laughs> that's <Club>. okay <laughs> i would say hey this is part of your OSINT skills try to find it yeah, try to find me. Right, <laughs> no, perfect. please don't. I can end up some weird stalkers. <laughs> well, yeah, we, uh, no, no stalkers in this world. But No, I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm not on Twitter. So oh. that's, that's my... Well, uh, I'll tag you on LinkedIn. If someone wants to reach out, sure. they can do it that way. Um, yeah. maybe, I'll, maybe I'll incentivize people to listen. That I'll say that any of our listeners are out there that listen this far into the podcast. If you get this far, I will send you a glass when we get them. <laughs> So you shoot me your an email, tell me that you listened to Katie's podcast, you made it all the way to the end, and I will if, send you a glass. But guess what? This is not going to the show notes, so they have to listen to find it. Have to listen I'm, to it. I'm hoping that people listen through, and I hope they find an email in my mailbox or tag me on Twitter at cool underscore breeze26. We'll talk about how I got that name one day. One day. One day. So maybe don't send me an email. Maybe tag me on, send me a DM on Twitter. They're open, but... In closing, Katie, this is a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. This is, uh, I learned a lot about CVD that I didn't even know about or just the different perspectives to think about as well. So thank you for it's all being about putting yourself in the shoes of the other person, right? So at the end of the day, we're just people. I, I think that's where we're at with this podcast. That's really what we're, we're just shooting for is, you know, yeah. what, what's it like to be you and your job and, you know, 
<laughs> try, try to try to tell someone that their baby's ugly. Their I love my job, ugly. man. I love it. That's the best, <laughs> That's the best job ever. Uh, it's really cool. Somebody gets me to get, pays me to like talk to people and to like come up with new ideas and Why not? I love it. It's great. The hardest thing I have to do is like go do ticket audits every once in a while and like make sure that we're like try like cuz sometimes people sometimes people don't always respond in the uh and I hear it loud and clear from the researchers. They make sure that I know. They're like I don't know what's going on with my ticket and I want to know and I'm like yeah. I will make sure someone answers you. That's right. <laughs> like I hear it loud and clear. So. Well, I thank thank you again for being on. Great to see you over video chat and talk to you again. Live from Dewey, Delaware, right? <laughs> Not true. Also, but, uh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, thank thank you from over here. <laughs> but, <laughs> from where? But as we like to close out, uh, stay thirsty, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome.